Baptist Church. Amen. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. The The word word of the the Lord. Wherever you've been, whatever you've done, come as you are, come into his own. Good morning. Welcome back from summer. Are you ready for the fall? Yeah, that was not an overwhelming yes. Um, it's kind of tough to kind of begin to get back in the groove, but, but that's what we're called to. Hey, how many of you went to, have gone to a wedding this summer? Okay, how many of you have gone to at least two weddings this summer? All right, how many of you have given your daughter away at a wedding this summer? That would be only me. Um, yeah, we had, we had a, a wonderful celebration in Pennsylvania, and um, I thought I would be really sad, but I wasn't. I got, a li- I got weepy when I saw my daughter in her wedding dress for the first time, and she was stunning, by the way. Um, but, but after that, it was just this wonderful celebration. And it was on this farm in Pennsylvania and, and out in this pasture. And, and we're all there to celebrate Hannah and Graham and, and the love that they have for each other. And when they're standing up there, and my father presided, which was very cool. But, and I just got to be dad. When, when my, my father said to... Um, to Graham, Graham, you can kiss your bride. And she's looking up at him, and, they, and he looks down at her, and he kisses her, and, and then he pulls away, and she goes back for a second, you know? I'm going, that's, that's awesome. That's, that's love right there. And then I thought, but is that really love right there? I mean... 
yeah, we came together to celebrate the love that, that Hannah and Graham have for each other, but, but what we saw in that moment, while it was an expression of love, was it really love? We, you know, the, the word love can be a little nebulous because we use love in so many different contexts, right? I mean, I love football. Go Cowboys. Um, but we don't have, we don't have a, an event to celebrate my love of football. Or maybe that's what a fantasy draft is. I'm not sure. But um, I love a nice, thick New York strip. Why are you laughing at me, Bob? I, I love my daughters, Hannah and Claire. I love my son, Benjamin. I love my son-in-law, Graham. I love my wife. I love our church. I, and all those uses are right, but it gets a little confusing sometimes because I don't love them all in the same way with the, with the same intensity. It, it's just, it's different. And our culture doesn't help, right? I mean, tell me what you, one of your favorite love stories is. What's a, what's a favorite movie that depicts love for you? Shadowlands. Rudy. Cinderella. What? Beauty and the Beast. What was it? Lion King. Um, nobody, nobody said Titanic. Come on, I love that. You know, standing out on the boat. And, and the thing about Titanic is they only had to love each other for like 24 hours. Because, you know, because um, they were dying. Uh, it gets confusing sometimes because, because our culture holds up these pictures that we call love, but it's more about romance. It's more about passion. It's, it's more about these emotional things that, that, we're going, that, that we experience. Um, but is it really true love? Not so much. I'm really excited this morning because we are kicking off this series called True Love where we're going to unpack uh, what God says true love is through the Apostle Paul. And it's a passage of Scripture that, that even if you've never read the Bible, you're familiar with this text. It's, it's what um, the praise team recited. Uh, we've all heard it. If you've been to a wedding, you've heard it. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not proud. It does not boast. We, we know this text. And it's a beautiful description of love. But there is this problem with it. Have you ever loved someone? Anybody ever loved someone? Sure, that's probably all of us. But here's a question. Have you ever been impatient with the person that you've loved? <laughs> have you ever been unkind to the person that... Have you ever been rude to the... Yeah! You know, you go through the list and, and you go, okay, I say I love this person and yet 
as God has described love, I've done all of those things wrongly with this person. And what happens is when we allow those, those things to sneak into the relationship, the impatience and the lack of kindness and, and the rudeness, it has the potential to, to destroy the relationship. What we're going to do as we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we're going to see what is really kind of the Magna Carta of love. And what we need to appreciate about this description that God gives us is that nowhere in this text does it mention feelings. These are all action words, not feeling words. So when people say that they, they fell in love or they fell out of love, they're not talking about God's understanding of love because at the end of the day, you don't fall into true love. You choose it. You make a commitment to it. So when we hear it at a wedding, what we are hearing held up to the couple is is this kind of love that God has for us and this declaration of the kind of love that will enable this couple for their, it will enable their relationship to last forever. And it's not just the love of marriage, but it's the kind of love that, that we should and can exhibit to one another that will bring health and happiness into our lives and into the lives of those that we touch if we have true love. So I want to read again this passage from 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You see, that's not a description of what it's like to be in love. That is a description of what true love looks like in action when it's lived out. This is a description of God's love for us and the kind of love that He calls us to. So over the next 10 weeks, we're going to unpack each of these components of true love, and we're going to talk about it in general terms in our, our Sunday morning services, but then in the small groups during the week, or if you want to do the study by yourself, um, you're going to look at it from different angles, and you're going to really dig into what God is telling us true love looks like. But the question we need to start with this morning is, how do we become someone who loves like this? To begin the conversation, I want us to look at a text in Luke chapter 7. 
If you want to turn there in your Bibles or you can thumb there on your device. Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36. We see this scene in the life of Jesus as he interacts with two people who are at opposite ends of the social spectrum. Verse 36, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Do you see the scene? You've got this Pharisee and this woman who the text tells us she's a sinner, presumably a prostitute. And we find out a few verses later that the Pharisee's name is Simon, but we don't know her name. Simon is a man who is admired and revered. This woman, not so much. Simon has made a living promoting standards, but this woman has made a living breaking them. He's hosting the party. She's crashing it. And if you ask the residents of Capernaum, who was the, who was the righteous one uh, between the two, who would they have said? Simon. Hands down, everyone would have chosen Simon except Jesus. Because Jesus knew both of them. And... He picks the woman. And then he tells, tells Simon why. Verse 39. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, the, the woman washing Jesus' feet with, with her tears, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman sh- that she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Simon says, okay, let's hear it. Then Jesus tells him this story, verse 41. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. 
for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Simon invites Jesus into his house, but he doesn't extend any of the customary courtesies. He doesn't um, wash his feet. He doesn't anoint his head. He doesn't give him a, a kiss of greeting. It would be like a guest coming to your home and, and you not opening the door or not taking his coat or not shaking his hand. Simon is actually kind of rude to Jesus. But the woman, on the other hand, goes above and beyond. We're not told her name. We just know her reputation, that she's a sinner, probably a prostitute. She, she has no invitation to the party and no standing in the community. I, if you can imagine coming to my home for a pastor's dessert, and in walks a hooker in a, in a tight dress... That's the scene. But this woman doesn't care what people thought. Their opinions don't stop her from coming because she didn't come for them. She came for Jesus. And it didn't and she didn't just give him the customary welcome treat, treatment. She was extravagant. She put her face next to his dusty feet and began to, to wet his feet with her tears because she didn't have any, any water and, and no towel to wipe them, no problem. She just used her hair. And then she takes this jar of perfume, maybe the only thing of value she owned, and she begins to, to massage it into his feet. Now, you'd think that Simon, of all people, would show such love. I mean, he's, he's the reverend. He's the, the man of the cloth. He's the one who's supposed to know God, right? But he doesn't do any of that. And you would think that the woman would avoid Jesus. She's, she's a streetwalker. But of the two... She's the one who shows love, extravagant, risky love. So here's the question. Why the different responses to Jesus? Why does Simon treat him indifferently and even maybe rudely Whereas she goes over the top in expressing her love. The simple answer is, is that she had experienced God's love. She had experienced the love of God in her own life. We don't know when she experienced it. We don't know how she experienced it. Maybe she went to one of those dinner parties that Jesus loved to be at with tax collectors and, and, and prostitutes. We don't know. But what we do know is that she experienced the love of God in such a deep way 
that it transformed her. It changed her at the core of her being. And because she had experienced that love, she was then able to extend that love. Simon, on the other hand, has all the externals. But he doesn't know God's love. He's got everything that people would look at and and say, oh, he knows God. But clearly he doesn't. And it's not that, that he couldn't be forgiven. It's just that he hasn't recognized the need for forgiveness. So in verse 47, Jesus says, whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Let me put it another way. A person who is forgiven little shows little love. In other words, we can't give what we've never received. You can't give what you've never received. If we've never received love, how can we give it? Oh, we try, don't we? I mean, by the sheer force of our will, we look at 1 Corinthians 13, we look at that list, and we say, okay, I'm going to work on my patience. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on my kindness. I'm going to work on, and you fill in the blank. The, the typical strategy that we have for troubled relationships is what? Try harder. My spouse needs forgiveness. I don't know how, but I'm going to give it. That difficult coworker, I'm going to be kind to that person. Right? That neighbor down the down the hall that just drives me crazy, that gummit, I'm going to love that person. You know, we clench our our teeth and tense our jaw and smoke comes out of our ears and we say, I'm going to love if it kills me. And sometimes we feel like it just might kill us. What are we missing? Could it be that the first step of love is not toward the other person but is toward God? Could it be that the secret to loving others well is living loved first? You see, you're only able to give love after you have received love. And 1 John 4.19 says, We love because God first loved us. Do you want to be a person who loves others well? Then the place to start is by being a dearly loved child of God. As Paul told the Ephesians, he said, um, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loves us. Do you want to forgive others? then maybe you need to experience forgiveness first. As Paul also 
told the Ephesians, he said, be kind and compassionate, forgiving one another, even as in Christ God has forgiven you. We, when we try to love people without experiencing the true love of God first, it's like trying to write a check with an empty bank account. Anybody ever done that? Insufficient funds. Right? Our hearts have insufficient love sometimes. But the Apostle Paul gives us the right sequence. He says in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, he says, God showed how much he loved us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. This is true love. It is not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. And then having made such an outrageous, eye-opening declaration, John calls on us to pull out our checkbook. He says in verse 11, Dear friends, since God loves us that much, we surely ought to love each other. You see, the secret to loving is living loved. Do I need to say that again? The secret to loving is living loved. This is the forgotten first step in relationships. Remember Paul's prayer to the Ephesians in chapter 3? Where he, where he says, um, may you be rooted in the, the love that God has for you. He's talking about being rooted in this amazing love that God has for us because just, uh, just as a tree draws nutrients from the soil, we, we draw our love from the love of God. I know it's only September, but, but can you fast forward to Christmas with me for just a minute? No? Yeah, I'm going to make you. Okay, we're, we're going to Christmas. How many of you buy real Christmas trees? Yeah. We, we usually do it right after Thanksgiving. And so we drive over to Queens because they're a lot cheaper in Queens. And we find a lot, usually on Northern Avenue or sometime on Broadway. And we, we, we go through the lot and we find that tree that looks great, that smells great. And we strap it on the roof of the car and we bring it home. And then I plant it in a plastic bowl of water. Right? And then we get it all spread out and we put the ornaments on it and it's looking awesome. But after a couple of three weeks, what starts happening? It starts drying out. And it gets brittle and the the needles start falling off and the ornaments, you know, at the middle of the night, you hear this crash because an ornament fell off. Why? Why? Because even though I keep putting water in the bowl, water in the bowl, and all that stuff, it's not getting the nutrients it needs because it's not rooted in soil. And friends, the same thing is true with our love. If it's not rooted in the love that God has for us, then 
we're going to get brittle and we're going to get dry and we're going to get um, and we're going to be fruitless. Simon had this problem. Simon was impressive to look at. He had all the ornaments. But he falls apart when you bump into him. Because there's no rooting. How often does that happen with us? Is there anybody that, who bumps into you that you just feel brittle and, and, and stiff with? Fruitless with? Maybe that's because your roots are in the wrong place. Maybe because your love for them is rooted in their love for you, which is fickle. Or maybe it's because your love is rooted in your love, which is frail. John urges us to rely on the love that God has for us. He alone is the power source. Many people tell us to love, but only God gives us the power to love. We know what God wants us to do. 1 John 3.23 says, this is what God commands, that we love each other. But how can we do it? How can we be kind to people who are unkind to us? How can we be patient with people who are impatient with us? How can we be loving to that, that greedy, um, slanderous, uh, rude person that we meet and we fall in love with, and yes, even sometimes marry? We want to. We want to love as God loves, but how can we? The answer is really simple. Receive first, love second. Receive God's love first. And then that enables you to love others. So I want to go back to the Magna Carta of love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. When I do premarital counseling, I ask the couple... Part of the homework is that they they paraphrase that passage of Scripture. And some of them do it well and some of them not so well. But as we begin to unpack it, um, one of the things that I ask them to just think about is, what if you put your name in this passage in place of the word love? Here's how it sounds with my name. Keith is patient. Keith is kind. Keith does not envy. Keith does not boast. He is not proud. Stop snickering. (laughs) Those words are false. 
Just ask my wife and my kids. Those things are not always true of me. And for years, that was my problem with this paragraph. It, it, it set a standard that I couldn't meet. No one can meet it. That is, except for Jesus. Doesn't this passage describe the measureless love of God? Let's put Christ's name in here and see if it rings true. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. Jesus is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. Jesus does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Jesus always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Jesus never fails. See, rather than let this scripture remind us of a love that we cannot produce, let it remind us of a love that we cannot resist. God's love for us. Some of us are so thirsty for this kind of love. People who should have loved us didn't. People who could have loved us didn't. Parents didn't show up. Spouse packed up. We, we've been through so many circumstances where we come to the place and, and we just say, does anyone love me? Do you know what heaven's answer to that is? God does. God does more than you can ever imagine. God loves you personally. He loves you powerfully. He loves you passionately. Others have promised and failed, but God has promised and he will never fail. He loves you with an unfailing love and his love, if you will let it, can fill you and enable you to love with his true love. What I want us to appreciate this morning, and there are really no takeaways today, there's no real to-do today, the only takeaway for you today is to get in touch with the true love that God has for you. Because what what I hope you understand is that 1 Corinthians 13 is not a to-do list of love. Do you hear that? It's really a to-be list. It's really a declaration of what we become. It's not, we don't look at this list and say, okay, I'm going to try to be more patient. No. It's this declaration that as we begin, as we root ourselves more and more deeply in the love that God has for us, we become these things. We don't do patient things, but we become patient people. We don't do kind things, we become kind people. 
We don't do selfless things. We become selfless people. Why? Because we're rooted in his love. We become like the prostitute who anoints Jesus' feet because that's who she was. Because she'd experienced God's love. If you're here this morning and you're not sure what you think about God and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, what you think about the Bible or or any of that, I just want you to consider this. Would your life be more satisfying and more joyful if you experienced patience from other people? Would your life be more or less satisfying and joyful if you experienced kindness from other people? Would your life be richer and more full if you experienced, and you just go through this list, if you experience those things coming toward you from other people? My guess is the answer across the board is yes. And if that's true, the question for you then becomes, do I want to be a person who enriches others? Do I want to be a person who makes other people's lives more joyous and full. And if you do, then the only way you're going to be able to do that is by stepping into the love that God has for you because the only way to really love well is to live loved. So you need to connect with God. Let me pray for us. Lord, I am so grateful that I am loved in spite of all my warts and failings and and sin. I thank you that you have loved me with a love that has no condition. You have loved me with true love. And I thank you that your love never fails. And my prayer for us, Lord, as as we begin to go through this series, is is that we would experience more and more deeply the love that you have for us because it's only in that that we will be able to love others well. And I pray, Lord, that that this morning we would experience it in a, in a fresh way. And now, Lord, as we come to your table, the table that, that represents the greatest demonstration of your love, greater love has no man than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And Lord, you have done that. You've laid your life down 
Your body has been broken and your blood has been shed so that we might be in relationship with you, a a relationship that is characterized by true love. So, Lord, we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen.